I am hosting a retreat in Tulum, Mexico, in paradise this October called Bloom in Tulum. It's a five-day, all-inclusive, personal and professional growth retreat for ambitious, big-hearted women who are ready to step into their power with grace, support, and confidence. So my two biz besties and I dreamed up this magical retreat over sushi a few months back, and after lots of planning, it's actually happening. We have mapped out a thoughtful itinerary with lots of downtime to make the most of this beautiful paradise beachside location and also set you up for a powerful and memorable experience of growth. There's only 20 spots available and all three of us are promoting it to our full community. So that's like over 50,000 people. So I imagine the spots will fill very quickly. If you are interested in joining us in Bloom and Tulum, go to bloomintulum.com for all the details and to complete your application. Also know that early bird pricing ends on June 30th. So it's a really good time to secure your spot and save some money. I mean, honestly, like how fun would it be to hang out in person at a gorgeous, luxurious, all-inclusive in October? So head to Bloom in Tulum. That's B-L-O-O-M in Tulum. T-U-L-U-M. Bloomintulum.com for all the details and complete your application. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 172. Today, we're talking about how to feel balanced hormonally with Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, soon to be a membership, and I'm the author of the upcoming new book, Raising Good Humans. Welcome back, dear listener. So great to be connecting with you once again this week. It's always a pleasure. And if you're new, a special welcome to you. This is a special episode, a little bit off the normal, or a little bit to the side, I suppose, of our normal subjects. I've been diving into some of sexuality series, talking to kids about sex, and this episode is about women and sexuality, and specifically about our hormonal cycles. So I don't know if you know much about your period or your hormonal cycle, but I have been learning a lot more recently. And wow, I'm amazed as a person in the middle of my life how much I had to learn. So in this episode, I talked to Lisa Hendrickson-Jack. She's a fertility awareness educator and holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring overall health. And she has a new book, The Fifth Vital Sign, and she debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. So this is a really fascinating episode for me, and I know that you will get so much out of it. I want you to join me at the table and listen for some of these important ideas. We talk about hormonal birth control, how it has downsides that we really need to be aware of, how 
understanding our cycles can help us balance emotionally, which is really key. And, you know, when is the best time to have sex? We all want to know when's the best time to have sex, right? I don't know. I do. <laughs> well, I'm so excited for you to hear this episode, but before we dive in, I just want to let you know that I just have a few spots left in my Mindful Mama Transformation Coaching Groups. I have two groups. They're going to be running on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern and Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, and there's just a couple spots left, and I've been talking to so many people about it. It's really exciting. It's a five-month group coaching program where you get you join a small group of less than six women or less, and you get you and I will get to know each other really deeply. You turn into one of my VIP people. We get get to really take you from wherever you are, wherever your baseline is now, to thriving. And whether you're needing to learn more about parenting, you're learning to learn more about yourself, have practices, mindfulness practices, self-compassion practices. These are practices and tools and resources that you can take and will be life-changing for a long time, for, for changing your relationships for potentially the rest of your life. It's it's intensive, you know, it's over five months. It's really five months of really taking this time to work on yourself and making measurable changes. And a really cool thing is that we just decided to add on um, that both you and your partner are going to have access to the Mindful Parenting Tribe, the membership program during the dur duration of the coaching. So it means both of you will get like those eight amazing modules over 12 weeks, you get all the lessons, the workbook, the live group Q&A, all of that stuff. So you get that on top of your small group, powerful sacred sisterhood that you'll be learning so much. So you're, what's cool about this is that your partner can learn along with you. It doesn't have to just be you that has all the tools. So anyway, if you want to talk to me about grabbing one of those last three spots, just let me know. Email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com or go ahead and go over to mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching and just sign up. We will get you started right away. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. Grab one of those last spots. All right. Now on to this conversation with Lisa Hendrickson Jack. Lisa, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thanks for having me, Hunter. It's so nice to see you again, if not in person, but it's <laughs> lovely. And, and you and I met in a lovely place. But you, I'm so excited for you because you're just coming out with your book, The Fifth Vital Sign. And it's all about, it's all about our cycles or periods and, and that, right? Yeah. It's like, uh, it's so funny because I'm like a really open person, but I'm like, I might get a little tongue-tied when I talk about <laughs> something we usually talk about. So I want to know, like, what got you so interested? I want to, I want you to take us back a little bit because how does one get to the point <laughs> where one is writing the book about your, your fifth vital sign? T take me back a little. Yes. Why do I talk about menstrual cycles all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I had an interesting kind of entry into it as a, as a young woman, I discovered the fertility awareness method when I was about 
18, 19-ish, kind of first-year university. And for any of the listeners who aren't familiar with that, it's basically a way to understand your menstrual cycle. There's a what's, lot of... What's it called? The fertility what? The fertility awareness method. Oh, okay. Okay. And so there's a lot of misinformation that we're given as, as young ladies uh, when we're kind of coming up. So many women had the experience of being in school and being taught that every single day of your menstrual cycle essentially is potentially fertile. So I remember sitting in my junior high school class and being taught that there were no safe days and basically leaving with the impression that if I were to have sex with another person, I would 100% get pregnant like every time. <laughs> and that um, I know I'm not alone in that. And that left me feeling really terrified. Mm-hmm. So when I was ready to, when I needed birth control, essentially, at that point, I had actually been on the pill for a couple of years because I had really painful, heavy periods. So I wasn't on the pill for birth control. I was on it because I didn't know how else to manage. I was really active, a uh, really mm-hmm. active teenager. And because I wasn't on it for birth control, I never took it at the same time. And I was a nerd even back then. So I read the whole pamphlet and I knew that if I had ever missed a pill or all of that, I would always just be really nervous that I would get pregnant because I was taught that I could get pregnant like just 100% of the time. So when I needed birth control, I actually, I feel like I I did the opposite of what a lot of women do because I I didn't want to be on the pill because at least if you're off the pill, like you get your period, so like, or not. And so you know if you're pregnant. And so for me, it was too, it was actually um, kind of the reverse because I was like, oh no, no, I can't be on this thing because I'll always be nervous. And in my mind, I was wait, like, wait, well, wait, 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 hold on a second. So I got to back you up a second, because if we're, you were nervous, you wanted to go off the pill when you started to have sex because you wanted to know if you were pregnant or not, but wouldn't you not get your period, even if you were on the pill, if you were pregnant? Well, granted, I was like 18 at the time. So okay. <laughs> um, just to kind of qualify, this was just my thought process. I was scared that I could somehow get pregnant and, and possibly not know I was pregnant. Um, oh. Because, you know, also sometimes when I was on the pill, like if an event was coming up, I would just like maybe take the pill again. So I missed my period. So there was just a, a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And also because, so since I, I knew I wasn't consistent, like I wasn't going to take the pill at like 8.05 every day. Mm. So if I would have woken up one day and taken it at like nine versus eight, I would have been terrified. So in Mm. my mind, what it occurred to me was that I would always use condoms with the pill 100% of the time. And so then I was like, well, then why use the pill? Yeah, (laughs) That was my, my mindset. So right around that time, I actually discovered fertility awareness, which was really interesting. And so I went to this talk at my university and this woman was talking, um, she was actually, uh, she's an author and she was reading an excerpt from her book, but she mentioned that she learned that there was only a small window of time in your cycle that you could get pregnant. And you could actually tell when that was by paying attention to your cervical mucus and your cervical position. And I was like, like, it just blew my mind because I had been taught that all of the days were fertile. So to learn that there was only like a short window of time, which is about six days or so um, in the menstrual cycle, it meant that there were times of my cycle when I couldn't get pregnant. And then again, my logic was like, well, geez, then if I could figure out when I'm um, fertile, I could actually just like really focus on avoiding unprotected sex during that period of time and then kind of use this method. Um, But wait a second, aren't there people who have gotten pregnant while they've had their period? You know, aren't there people with like cycles that are all out of whack and get pregnant at weird times? Well, I mean, yes, it is possible to uh, get pregnant on your um, 
when you have your period. So that's kind of, um, so just to kind of back it up before I answer that question Mm -hmm. so that the listeners have a general understanding of the menstrual cycle, because this is the problem as women. We don't, we don't really get it. Information. (laughs) So in a, in a typical (laughs) menstrual cycle, you get your period and the first day of your true flow, like when you have to go and grab like a pad or something, (laughs) that's day one of your cycle. And then you would typically have your period. It lasts somewhere between three to seven days in a healthy cycle. And then at some point your period would stop and then you would basically start approaching ovulation. So as you approach ovulation, you would typically have a few days where um, if you were trying to watch for cervical mucus, which we'll talk a little bit about, you wouldn't see anything. But then as you approach ovulation, you actually, your, your estrogen levels start to rise and that triggers your cervix to produce cervical mucus. So even though we're not taught about it at all, like we're only taught about our periods, we're basically taught that our cycle is our period and like nothing happens in between. <laughs> but <laughs> there's... Um, as you approach ovulation, many women have seen it, but they just didn't know what it was. So for women who are listening, if you've ever had the experience of like, you feel kind of like a wetness and you think, oh my goodness, my period's here and you run to the bathroom and it's not. (laughs) Or if you've ever had the experience of you're kind of wiping and it's really slippery and you actually, some women will actually see clear, stretchy fluid and it looks like raw egg whites, or they might see something that looks like creamy white hand lotion some women even you know go to their doctors because they see this quote discharge right and they think oh my goodness I'm I've got an infection and then they get an STI test and it's negative so a lot of women are and I remember as a little girl like there was a point in my life when I started to actually like notice that there were some days where I'd feel really wet and I remember asking my mom about it and she would just she just told me to like okay, we use panty liners now. So I started using panty liners. Like, but there was no like, this is a healthy, normal fluid that's produced as you approach. Like this conversation was completely missing, right? I think I um, had like a vague idea about it, but no, I don't really, like, I don't really, I don't, I didn't know this either. I'm 40, I'm, a, I'm like about to turn 41, like in three days. And I don't, no, I don't really know this. No, I, I yeah. feel so ignorant. <laughs> crazy. Well, and we all do because um, I just stumbled across this. So my story is unique because I stumbled across this when I was quite young. And so now I'm 36. It's been almost 20 years. And I'm like, and this is a really, you know, fun conversation for, for me to have, Hunter, because the fact that you're 41 and like you've never heard about it, like that's the reason why I wrote the book. That's the reason why I started a podcast. Like that's the reason why I won't shut up about the menstrual cycle and I'm always talking about vaginas. <laughs> and it's because we have a gap in our education system. We're taught a lot of, I remember learning a ton of information about my eyeballs and my ears and like all the little parts. But the, the thing that would, you know, help us to you know, prepare to become moms and to understand how our fertility works to help us. I mean, we're the kind of, we, we carry the next generation. Like this is kind of important stuff and we yeah. don't, <laughs> yeah, you don't think, you it. think it would be important for all of us to know this. Like, yeah, all we're taught is about the period part. Mm-hmm. That's all. So I want to learn more about it now. So, so this, let me, this, let me just... this estrogen levels rise and this, you get the cervical mucus and this is what, what's the point of this? Why, why okay. does it happen? Yes. So cervical mucus is actually the central part of understanding our cycles because of how important it is for fertility. So this kind of clear, stretchy stuff or like the creamy, lotiony stuff, um, it actually allows the sperm to survive in your body for up to five days. So a lot of us have heard that sperm can live in your body for up to five days. I I feel like that's something we've heard, Mm -hmm. but no one says why. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's not just like across the board any single day of the week. It's only when you have mucus. So basically Mm -hmm. 
there's a, this tight, and if you think about it, Mother Nature is really smart. Your, our uterus is an internal organ. Um, and so really it shouldn't, we should, like the public shouldn't have access to this organ all the time. Um, that would open us up to the possibility of infections and other things. So really outside of this tiny window of fertility, um, our cervix and uterus are basically closed and nothing can enter. Our vaginas are naturally acidic and therefore sperm can't survive in there for very long and they have nowhere to go. There's no access, like the door is closed. And so it's only as we approach ovulation that it's actually open, we produce this mucus. So mucus has a couple of really neat functions. It keeps sperm alive. It's the right pH. It changes the pH of our vagina. Like it, it basically, it's like a hotel for the sperm. It makes them all comfortable and they can survive and it's great for them. It rapidly shuttles them into the cervical crypts, meaning just all of these technical terms, but it basically means that it helps the sperm to get to where they need to go. And it mm -hmm. plays an essential role in doing that. And without it, the sperm can't get to where they need to go. Um, so then what happens is eventually your estrogen levels peak and then it's like a feedback loop. And so it's like if you have a furnace in your house and like it, the temperature rises and then it like, you know, the furnace goes off. So when your estrogen levels rise to a certain point, then that's what triggers ovulation. So then after ovulation, your, um, your ovaries start producing progesterone. But what happens is your mucus dries up there's changes in your cervical position that you can pay attention to if you so if you want to. Um, if you're uh, many women are kind of familiar familiar with the idea that your temperature kind of goes up around ovulation, um, that idea that you can actually track that. So what happens is after ovulation, progesterone, this this hormone that you're making now, it causes your body to actually like your metabolism to increase. And so for women who are actually like into this and they've got the charting apps or they're charting on paper, if you plot your waking morning temperature on a graph every day, so first thing, you know, in the morning before you get out of bed type of thing, after ovulation, your temperature actually rises and stays high. So you can actually see like a very clear, like obvious shift in temperature, which is again, really neat because this is like science. So for all like, you know, for all the science nerds, it's like there's actually data and information that you can track. And it's a cycle, so it happens, you know, whenever you ovulate, like it just happens all, you know, every time. And so then after that, you would have about uh, 12 to 14 days where you have none of this clear, stretchy mucus uh, in a healthy cycle. And then you would get your period again and then like repeat, repeat, repeat. Okay, so okay. we are supported by Melon Headwear. These hats are perfect for Father's Day. They are built to be in and around water. They last five times longer than any other hat. They're naturally antimicrobial properties. It doesn't, sweat doesn't break down the hat. No sweat stains, no smell ever. It's built for the water. We tested it tubing on the Brandywine River and it was fabulous. It even floats when it drops in the water. It doesn't lose shape. It is amazing. An incredible, comfortable fit. Use code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off your order. If you're trying to figure out a Father's Day gift, honestly, trust me, this is exactly what they want. Go to melon.com, that's M-E-L-I-N.com, and use the code MINDFUL at checkout for 30% off. Melon rarely offers discounts, so don't miss this opportunity. It is, I swear, the perfect Father's Day gift. Premium headwear, melon.com. Use the code mindful for 30% off. We are sponsored by Midi Health. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, vaginal dryness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
all of these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around perimenopause and menopause. And the experts at Midi Health understand what you're experiencing and how to help. Midi clinicians are menopause experts dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions. Midi care is covered by insurance, and with Midi Health, you can stop pushing through it all alone. Schedule a virtual visit to discuss your symptoms and health background in depth. You'll come out of the experience feeling heard and with a plan to start feeling better. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Joinmidi.com. So the is the I want to know about where PMS fits into the cycle, yeah. like, right? Because I know I feel like I can I can track my anxiety. Like when I wake up in the morning, I have sometimes I you know I have anxiety dreams. I wake up, I feel anxious, and then I go and I do my morning practice and I meditate and I help to take care of those feelings. But it's clearly something that's kind of like I can really track it to like this happens before my period. So is progesterone the cause of that? Is that what's making me? (laughs) What can Um, I shake my fist at? Yes. Well, I mean, so what's interesting about PMS is that, you know, the research tells us that up to like 90% of women experience some degree of kind of mood changes as they approach um, their period. So it's kind of like, well, if 90% of women felt tired after running a marathon, like would we also call that a disease, right? So there's some degree of kind of the energetic and emotional shifts that you experience in that phase of your cycle that is normal. Mm -hmm. But there is a point at which we would you know, be concerned. You shouldn't be like going into like crazy emotional tailspins and feeling like deep bouts of depression and crazy anxiety and like having all like, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's some degree of that though, that is normal. And it's just part of the cycle as women. Um, So, uh, you know, a lot of women will report that they tend to feel more energetic and outgoing around ovulation and they tend to feel a little bit more kind of, you know, introspective and um, just less energetic before their period. And so there's this, yeah, I, I, you can tell I'm trying to stress, like there's so, a certain degree of this, this is, no, that is normal. But for women who do have like, I mean, more, I can definitely see that it's normal. You know, I yeah. mean, I'm sure there's, you know, I know there's people who have extremes of that, but I'm, I'm not questioning like whether, whether it's normal or not, but it sounds like you're kind of inviting me to think of it in a different way. Think of it as an energetic shift or something. Well, yeah. And we can think of it like a continuum. And so we're all going to be on that somewhere. But to answer your question, if for women who do experience, because I think you have, we all have that intuitive sense, like this is not okay. Like (laughs) I'm feeling really ridiculous before my period's coming and I want to know why. So for women that typically have um, more prevalent PMS symptoms, like uh, more significant mood swings or significant food cravings, some women um, experience uh, what's called hyperhydration, like bloating, like they'll notice like, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. There's, there's just specific types of symptoms that um, women experience. What that is, it's not like progesterone's fault, but typically women who have um, more intense PMS symptoms do have more of an imbalance between estrogen and progesterone, mm-hmm. typically having a bit lower progesterone than they should or having a sharper drop in progesterone as they approach uh, their period compared to women that don't. So for instance, um, if you were to look at your progesterone on a graph in a normal cycle, you would see that after ovulation, it kind of rises and um, it's like a half circle kind of. So it's like it rises and then it reaches its peak in the middle um, 
So kind of like a week before your period, and then it kind of gradually goes down. But sometimes women with PMS, sometimes they have it like a sharp decline um, Mm -hmm. in their progesterone. So it it is related to hormones and it's, it can be related to kind of like an imbalance of estrogen and progesterone in the the luteal phase. Um, And there's things that you can do about it in terms of like diet and lifestyle, things like that. Like if you don't get enough sleep, if you're totally stressed out, that can cause your progesterone to be lower. Um, If you've got certain vices, you know, alcohol, um, uh, like drinking coffee all the time, um, just certain things, because it's a hormonal, the more stress hormone you produce, the less progesterone you have because cortisol, like our stress hormone is produced from progesterone. So there's a lot of like, Um, So the more stress hormone you you produce, the more stress you have in your life, the less progesterone, which would make you more imbalanced, you're saying? Yeah. And if you think about it logically, I mean, I don't know, like as a a busy mom who is, you know, working on her business and all of that kind of stuff, like for a lot of women, for pretty much all of us, if you think about what our lives look like, many of us are very busy. We have a lot of demands on our time Um, as women. um, For some reason, like even though men are fathers and they're part of this whole thing like a lot of the household responsibilities and child care responsibilities fall onto us so there's like a lot of different things that if you think about it um could just be regular stressors um so i suppose just to kind of point out that sometimes it can be related to some of those things but there are other specific things um that can kind of exacerbate pms symptoms like giving into the sugar cravings and binging uh, many of us have are more likely to, if if we're going to eat the chocolate, it's probably going to be before the period. And there's a correlation between um, kind of those PMS symptoms. There's a category of PMS that is called sugar cravings. <laughs> wow! Wow! See, it's it's all biological. So I'm, you know, it's funny because I was having this sort of conversation with a friend of mine, and how it is actually recently that I'm trying to like. I'm trying to use my sort of period tracker and track how I feel when I wake up and kind of like figure it all out because I'm not usually very systematic. So this is like a whole kind of new thing for me. I don't really have enough data. But, you know, we were talking and just I love the I love the idea of like, wouldn't it be nice if like every once a month, we could go away for four days and like, have no responsibilities and just relax and watch a movie in the middle of the day and like go for walks, like have a retreat like every month, like in my ideal imaginary world. I think that's what I would like during that time. And it sounds like, yeah, we're having this energy shift, but like our lifestyle is not shifting. <laughs> Well, and what's, what's interesting. So, I mean, I, I talk about this in the book. I've got a chapter on PMS. I also talked about, I talked about it in two ways and I thought that was important. So I talked about it in the way that like, there is some degree of um, change in our emotions and our energy that is normal. So I talked about it from that standpoint, because I, I think it's really important because again, that 90%, like 90% of women experience PMS symptoms. Like we can't call it, we can't, we just like, it's not a sickness. We're women and kind of part of our our natural rhythms and our natural kind of situation here, but also understanding that there is a limit to what we can call normal because it's really annoying if you actually are suffering and you have more significant symptoms for someone just to pat you on the head and be like, it's totally fine. Yeah, that would be annoying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but it's what you said. When you start paying attention to these things, and I think it speaks volumes that you have been paying attention to it, as a woman who you know, is it like if you're cycling naturally, like if you don't have, if you're not taking 
type of hormonal birth control that's kind of interfering with your natural cycle or stopping it altogether, then as a woman, you can't help but notice these shifts, like, because you just keep having menstrual cycles. So if you feel a certain way before your period, you're going to notice that over the years. And so it's what you said is, is really pivotal. Like, you wish that you could kind of go away and basically like retreat and just relax Mm -hmm. for a couple of days. That is a natural inclination. So although we can't always like fully get on a plane and go to Thailand or something and just like chill on the beach (laughs) or whatever, as women, if, if you track your cycle, even if you're just tracking when your periods are coming, but the more that you kind of pay attention to where you are in your cycle, you can start to get to the point where you can kind of anticipate around when you might be premenstrual and you can start to organize your life a little, like in small ways around mm-hmm. it. Yeah, you could yeah. schedule a day off. You could schedule a blo- like a block, like block, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Let me try to say that. But you could block off your calendar for a day or two around that time or purposely not take appointments and kind of think, when in my cycle do I have more energy and actually schedule your interviews and your kind of parties and whatever you're doing around that time. And some women do that. Like it's fully on that, like hack your cycle language. Like some women actually do take this to the kind of further degree and actually do schedule some of their commitments around when they know they typically have energy and things like that in their cycles. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I, so I want to get to, I want to get to hormonal birth control because and I want to talk about that, but I want to kind of go back to your story. So you're 19, you learn about this fertility awareness method, your mind is blown, you're like, oh my God, do you take that radical step of, of kind of saying, well, I'm just going to go all natural and see what happens? Did you do that? Um, I did. Uh, so in my case, I kind of, I was in a really supportive environment, so I was able to learn and gain confidence in the method for a couple different reasons. So, I mean, I was on my university campus. We had a women's center. They were like, it was this great kind of feminist. Like I was like young woman on my own for the first time and learning about feminism and sex positivity and the menstrual cycle. So it was a, kind of one of those like exciting kind of times as a, as a young lady, but I did have the resources. So at the women's center, they were kind of aware of this. And so I went to the bookstore and bought Taking Charge of Your Fertility, which is a book by Tony Weschler that it's the most, it's one of the most comprehensive guides where a lot of women who are interested in fertility awareness, that's where they really get their education kind of at the beginning. And so I bought myself that book. I was reading it. I, at this time, it was like the year 2000 or whatever. So there was no charting apps. Like I had just got my first cell phone. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I like made myself Excel spreadsheets and was charting on paper and all this. And I actually back then made a book, was selling it to all my friends. Like this was a thing back then. <laughs> and so there was also a group of women on my university campus, some of whom had specifically been trained. So they were tra- trained instructors in this group. Um, and they were they used to hold monthly meetings. And I think the group is still there and they still do hold monthly meetings. Um, and so, yeah, so I started attending these meetings, learned how to chart, had the support of people who knew how to do it. It wasn't long before I was a member and took training myself and was also teaching women like, so this has been going on for a long time. You really are a fertility geek. Wow. I, yep. yep. <laughs> Actually, fertility awareness educator. I'll you know, put, in the, put in the proper term. But so what happened was like, what led me to, to this stage that I'm at is that, I mean, I was quite young and um, 
I then, by the time I started having children, so yes, I was like 19 years old and I was using condoms in my fertile window and I was fully having unprotected sex outside of my fertile window and not getting pregnant because I understood the fertility awareness method. But I'm saying this because there's often this idea that young ladies are too stupid to figure it out and we shouldn't tell them this information because Mm, then they're going to go and get themselves pregnant and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just, I know that the fertility awareness method is not for everybody. So I think Mm -hmm. that's the first thing. What I do think is for everybody is the information. So every woman should be taught about our bodies and understand how it works and understand that there's a small window of fertility. We can identify it. Not every woman is going to then use it as their primary birth control method, but the information about our bodies is something we all have the right to know. But I do share that part of my story very intentionally and tell my age because I want people to know, like I was a 19 year old girl and I was able to sort this out in a very responsible way. And I do appreciate the comment about STIs because that is one of my biggest concerns with hormonal birth control and how it's pushed now, how condoms have somehow, when I was younger, condoms were actually, we were taught that they were quite effective and with perfect use, condoms are 98% effective in preventing pregnancy. And also condoms are really your only, if you're in a relationship with someone of the opposite sex, like it's the only way to protect yourself from STIs. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the biggest concerns that I have about the kind of push of hormonal birth control for young ladies is that now they're protected from pregnancy, but no one's talking about STIs, right? So yes. (laughs) Mm, Okay. All right. All right. So, you know, I imagine the listener, probably some of them are like, yes, you know, you know, on board, but this is like new kind of radical information for a lot of us who are in that world of like, you know, just protect at all costs in, in every way, state or form. So, so, and then you went on and had two little boys. And well, you're- it, was, it was around that time that I realized, like I had, by that time I had been using fertility awareness. So, you know, up until the point I had been using fertility awareness for nearly 10 years successfully to avoid pregnancy. And then when I decided, you know, when my husband and I decided to start our family, then that was kind of the first time I had ever you know, flipped it around like, oh my God. the days. And, but it was around that time. I mean, I was in my, I got pregnant when I was 29. So just approaching 30 and, you know, at that age, a lot of my friends and everyone's, everyone's having babies. It's true. Um, they're, all, they're all having babies. But there was also a certain, you know, sect of my, a certain part of my friend group and just overall in general, I started realizing how many women were struggling with fertility mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. And also nobody knows about their fertility. So you have women who are struggling with fertility challenges, but at the, at the end of the day, like we're not taught about our bodies. So you have a lot of, there's a, a certain percentage of women who are basically timing sex wrong every time because we're told like, okay, we'll have sex on day 14 of your cycle but we're not yeah. robots. So that's a myth uh, that all women ovulate on day 14 all the time. Like it's not actually a real thing. And if you, if you, so in my case, I've worked with hundreds of women over the years and seen like thousands of charts and all this stuff. So, you know, it's not a thing. Most women don't ovulate on day 14 at all. And uh, their ovulation. When that, that mucus is happening, I guess I have, aside from fertility, I'm sure like some of the listeners probably really interested in fertility, but I have a, a question I think that is, is more pressing for me is that <laughs> you didn't have sex or you had sex made with a condom when you were in that, isn't that point of ovulation, aren't you like 
the horniest, like when you're ovulating, isn't like that the point of ovulation? Your body's like, yes, let's do it. Like all the drives are like about reproduction at that point, right? Well, so I would say yes. And, and kind of like a little, like, so a lot of women, I think over the years, and I, I know this person, like I've had the experience personally where around ovulation, yes, um, you're often more <laughs> attracted to your partner. And also what's interesting is that around that time, you're releasing pheromones. So your partner is also more likely to kind of like fly to sticky paper, like all over uh, your situation, which is interesting. <laughs> um, but I mean, there has been, there's a colleague of mine that was involved in a research study that kind of um, looked to see when women are more aroused. And so basically she, in her study, she kind of argues like, well, you know, we're not machines. Like you're, you can also be aroused around your period and other times mm-hmm. of your cycle. So, um, but with that said, yes, like around ovulation, um, many women, I think in my kind of lived experience, like most women do find that that's when they're wanting it more. Um, but the thing is that, I mean, in my case, it wasn't, it, it wasn't a, a, a bad thing. Um, it must've been great condoms. when you switched to like wanting to have babies at that point. Cause but it wasn't, but it, I would say that it's there. There's definitely more of a drive, but it's not to the point that it's like, I'm not okay. thinking of, it's not this big, big, big deal okay. because I can also have sex at other times of my cycle. Okay. I don't know. So um, I, I see, I see, I see your point, but it wasn't like I only wanted it like <laughs> when I'm ovulating and then like not like outside of it, I like didn't want it at all. Like I, so the other thing is that when you're not on the pill, so one of the the side effects, one of the most common side effects of the pill and other hormonal birth control is low libido because the pill is your testosterone by like at least 61%. Like there's studies, I've got all kinds of studies quoted in my um, book, like over a thousand research citations because I really wanted women to have access to like the science behind this stuff. So it's not just like, this is what Lisa says. Mm -hmm. Um, But for example, you know, one of the studies that I quote in the book, um, in the birth control chapter, the, they measured the testosterone levels of women on the pill versus not, and the women on the pill, their testosterone was 61% lower. So um, a lot of women experience a little libido on the pill, and the challenge is that, like, a lot of women also go on the pill when they're, like, 14, 15, 16. Like, by yeah. the time you're 16, you don't know yourself enough to know what your normal libido is, probably. Yeah, no. So there's a lot of women who may not even know the extent of the impact of their libido until they come off of it, and then they their libido comes back and they're like, wow. So one of the great things about my situation was that I was able to like go through my twenties enjoying just like my normal body, my normal libido. And Mm -hmm. just, so maybe that's why it wasn't an issue (laughs) because Uh, I did, I had a libido and it wasn't only around my ovulation. I'm Margaret and I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.
Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. This is interesting. Now, the pill, I, I, I do want to talk about the pill because after I had my daughters, I felt like there's no way I'm going back on hormonal birth control at all. And I, I didn't want it because I, I'm sensitive. Like I can, I'm, you know, a highly sensitive person. Like I can feel these differences. I can feel it kind of changing the way I feel. What are, what are some of, and I know I've read some crazy stuff about the pill recently. So the pill basically stops us from ovulating altogether. Like no egg is released. Like you can just go ha, be on the pill and not have your period, right? Like it's been so long for me now that it's almost like hard to remember. But, and my logical brain says this got to have some weird effects on the body. So what does, what does it do to us? That's an excellent question. Um, so um, I think it's, <laughs> yes, I mean, I'll, I'll go through as much as I can, but I think it's helpful, first of all, to understand like how the pill works. So it's exactly what you said, like, what is it actually doing to us? And I'll just start by saying that there's different types of birth control. So most hormonal contraceptives are made of a combination of synthetic estrogens and progestins. So when you think of the pill, the patch, the ring, those are typically like these combined uh, synthetic hormone uh, preparations. And then you have other types of birth control, like we have the IUDs that are um, progestin releasing. And I always make a point of saying that because they are not the same hormones that our body produces. So often it's very comforting to hear that you're getting like estrogen and progest, like it's not. It's like a, like some dude made it in a lab and it's not the same chemical structure. But anyways, mm. so some of the um, some of the birth control is progestin only, some of it's combined. The vast majority of um, hormonal birth control work, well, all hormonal birth control varieties work in a um, in a combination of three different ways, but not all of them fully suppress ovulation. Most of them do though. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that they do, suppress ovulation, interfering with the regular communication that has to happen between our brain and our ovaries. So we've got like our hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. So basically like when it's after your period, it's like your brain sends a message to your ovaries and it's like, okay guys, let's start, you know, making eggs and getting ready for ovulation. So the pill shuts that down. And then because there are certain types of hormonal birth control that, for instance, the progestin releasing IUD, some women do stop ovulating, but not all women do. So it's like, well, then if you're still ovulating, how could you, how do you not get pregnant? So the other function is that it, hormonal birth control causes your uterine lining to never really get fully mm -hmm. developed. Mm -hmm. So the lining is super, super thin, too thin to, for an egg to implant, even if you were to ovulate. 
Um, and then the third thing is that the hormonal birth control keeps your cervix closed. Like we kind of talked about that, how mm. you would naturally produce mucus as you approach ovulation. We're not producing that <laughs> um, when you're using these hormones because it actually prevents you from producing fertile quality cervical mucus. So these three main fronts. And if you think about that, so if it's suppressing ovulation, your ovaries are actually where you produce your estrogen and your progesterone and, you know, a significant amount of your testosterone. And as women, we produce 90% less testosterone than men, but the testosterone we produce is, is um, very important. It plays a key role in our libido. Low testosterone is associated with an increased risk of depression, which mm -hmm. is one of the side effects of the pill. Um, and our actual like like our actual vagina <laughs> so our vulval like our tissues down there um, our clitoris our vaginal opening are very sensitive to these hormones including testosterone so um, what that means is that two of kind of the more like two of the side effects that are associated with hormonal birth control are low libido like we spoke about because of the testosterone but also painful sex and and so for some women and the low libido thing so for some women how that plays out is like they don't want it as much for some women how it plays out is that it's actually painful and there's a condition vulvodynia where a lot of women then internalize that because we're not really to told that this could be a side effect of the birth control and so there are women out there who have this issue and it's painful and they end up going through like therapy and all kinds of stuff when it like for some women, it's literally just because they took the pill mm -hmm. and you're more likely to experience that particular issue if you, the earlier you started taking it. So if you were, you know, 14, 15, 16, when you started taking the pill, you're more likely to experience like painful sex. Okay. So if we go on the pill, we're more likely to have a painful sex. We're more likely to have low libido and increased risk of depression. So then we go on the pill, we have increased risk of depression. So then we go to a therapist and we get put on a, probably some other pills, right? That well, have, other, have other intense effects on us, like psychosomatic, you know what I mean? Like all the, all the depression pills. Wow. This is, it's, it's like a chain effect. It's, it's just a similar with, it sounds in, in sort of a bigger scale, like similar to birth and that one intervention is kind of begetting another intervention. Well, and as I mentioned with the, the, the teenage girls, so there's a study that I kind of point out there in that, in my pill chapter where it's like young, young women who were on birth control were more likely to be on antidepressants. So what's been happening there is that you're going to a psychologist because you're depressed. And instead of the psychologist being like, are you on the pill? Because these side effects are not widely discussed necessarily, even though there's a lot of scientific literature. Like this is not like someone making it up. There's like tons and tons of mm -hmm. research papers that talk about why. So instead of like, let's, we know that depression is one of the side effects of the pill. So why don't we just have a couple months where you go off of it, you know, use condoms and let's just see if the depression improves. Like that conversation isn't happening. Instead, it's like, oh, you're depressed. <laughs> let's just put you on. Yeah, whatever. Another, yeah, it really strong drugs are can be really hard to get off of too. Wow. Okay. So any other side effects we should we should know about with the pill? Well, nutrient deficiencies, and so, and I should say, depression and anxiety. So there, there's a certain percentage of women who develop panic attacks and feelings of. Um, anxiety, they can kind of show up differently. And um, it's not always like you go on it and you immediately feel this. There are, a, there's a certain percentage of women who like go on the pill and they immediately feel a little bit like, 
like just their moods changes so dramatically that they have to come off of it. But most women don't fall into that category. There's a certain percentage of women. So I've interviewed a number of women um, on my podcast who then kind of share their experiences on it. And so I interviewed this one woman who was on the pill for a long time. She was on it for eight years. And it was like, at that time, she started experiencing panic attacks. And again, like, she's thinking that there's something wrong with me. And I don't know what's going on. And she's kind of trying everything, eventually Googling, like, what could this possibly be? And then in the end, she found some information, some women saying, like, the pill gave me panic attacks. And then she went off of it just to see. And then she's like, and then I didn't have any panic attacks. Like, that was eight years in. So how would you know if no one had ever yeah, you would you? never, you would never, never identify that. No. Yeah. And so one of the oh side God. effects of hormonal birth control is um, nutrient deficiencies. So B vitamins in particular, zinc, selenium, coenzyme Q10. And the reason for that is that um, th- these hormones, imagine like the hormones, you can't just shut down a woman's reproductive system without it affecting other parts of her body. Like yeah. contrary to what it seems to be the message and like that's the title of my book is the vital sign for a reason. It's like we somehow think that we can compartmentalize ourselves and this medical model of like take the pill, shut down your reproductive system it won't have an effect on anything else. But here I am telling you like depression, painful sex, anxiety, nutrient deficiencies. So obviously our cycles are connected to more than just our ability to have kids. So yeah. Yeah. And nutrient deficiencies can lead to things like anxiety and depression too, because I mean, that that's all, they're all interconnected. I mean, every part of our body is interconnected. Well, and you basically like, that's exactly what I was going to say. So specifically the pill changes the way that we metabolize these B vitamins. So folate, which is huge because we know that folate is critical for like normal fetal development. So it's an issue for us moms. These nutrient deficiencies are exacerbated like the longer that you're on it. Like it's kind of, it can be kind of gradual. And maybe, you know, that's an example of why eight years in you could have this issue where you didn't have it before. But in particular, vitamin or in particular, um, hormonal birth control has been shown to rapidly deplete vitamin B6. And it increases your daily requirement by like 38 times. So it's insane how much like over and above the recommended daily allowance, you'd have to take like 38 times the recommended daily allowance to like equal out how much more you need while you're taking it. Well, and also vitamin- taking a vitamin by a supplement is not the same as getting the vitamins you need via your food or the sun and all those things. It's just not the same. Our body doesn't metabolize those things in the same way they often just you pee it out right well yeah and then in the case of depression i just point that one thing out to support exactly what you said is because vitamin b6 is essential for our serotonin production and serotonin is associated with our mood so Mm -hmm. this depression thing then we've got the lower testosterone and the vitamin like the nutrient deficiencies so one thing i'll point out i mean I'm, I could go on about the pill for a long time. I think you can tell I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. Um, and it's kind of controversial, right? Like as a feminist, it's like, you know, with the pill was what gave us our, you know, sexual revolution and our freedom. And how could you be talking negatively about the pill, especially when, um, you know, in certain uh, political climates, that access is being threatened. So I yes. want to make my point really clear. <laughs> when I talk about the pill, it's because I believe that as women, we should have informed consent. I believe that women kind of fall into three categories. It's like some women hearing all of this would be like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. I don't think that that's for me. And they're going to choose not to take it. Some women are going to say, you know what, for me at this moment in my life, this is actually the best option for me Mm -hmm. for birth control. But at least I know about the side effects. And then if I ever did experience like a panic attack or 
um, if I noticed that my libido was going down or my mood was changing, then I at least know so that I could then go off of it or maybe try a different formulation or something like that. Like yeah. that's, and then the other option, there's a group of women who would just take it for just as long, you know, whatever. But my thing is like, we, if we're not told about the side effects, which we're not, yeah. <laughs> the vast majority of women that I've encountered in my lifetime have not been um, adequately counseled about these. Then when you have, because so, like at the end of the day, like the pill, it's not like some women experience effects and some women don't. The pill is fundamentally kind of physiologically changing you. It's shutting down your ovaries. It's disrupting the normal function of your endocrine system. Every woman is affected. The only question is how will you be affected? Like yeah. every woman isn't affected in the same way, like how it manifests, but it, we're all affected. So um, informed consent. I just want to be clear that it's not like I'm saying like, no one should ever use it again. But I think that yeah. mm -hmm. we need to know what it could be doing to us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I think that that is important. So, so what, what would you say to the listeners saying, oh my gosh, you know, I had no idea. I had no idea I had cervical mucus and I had no <laughs> idea that maybe my hormonal birth control could be affecting me this way, but may, what, what would be a cautious woman's first step for kind of understanding how some of these effects might be coming up in her life? Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, the first step would be to educate yourself. If this is all new to you, fortunately, uh, there's a lot of great books and resources that are available for women. I think women kind of know if, if they hear about this and they really gravitate to it and they want to learn about fertility awareness. So, of course, you know, my book is a good resource, a great resource. <laughs> Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler is a great resource. There are more women speaking out about the pill. A woman, Holly Greg Spall, wrote a book, Sweetening the Pill, which is a really interesting book sharing about her personal experience on Yaz. Mm -hmm. And it's, and then, you know, as you read it, you realize it's not just her personal experience. A lot of women experienced very parallel kind of things and all of that. But there's, if this is all new to you, I think it's just helpful and reassuring to know that there's a lot of women who've been working in this field for years. Like, take me, tw like nearly 20 years ago, I discovered this and I've been teaching. I think also it's important to acknowledge the, the feelings that can arise. Typically what I hear from women initially, it's like, wow, this is amazing. This is exciting. Like, like it's really fascinating to learn about this and really gratifying, but then it's quickly followed by a sense of anger of like, well, what the heck? Like this isn't really that complicated. So why are we being taught? So kind of, I think it's important to acknowledge all the feelings that come up around it. You know, you mentioned like I'm 41 and I didn't know I had cervical because like it's okay to be angry and it's a normal response in terms of like the practical, like, okay, so I'm scared now. I've heard all this stuff about the pill. I'm going to research it. If you decide at that point that maybe you're wanting to think about other types of birth control. Again, the first step is to educate yourself and to think about what the options are. I don't think it's um, a good idea to just like go off of birth control without an, like other options because as long as you're ovulating, there's always a chance of pregnancy. So it's a little bit of a, it's also nervous. It's also really common to feel really nervous because of the programming. Like we're taught that you're going to get pregnant, you know, from every time you have sex. So it can be a big transition for you to kind of just learn that, wow, like my cycle works in this way and I can kind of figure this out. To, so to even trust it, like actually, because yeah. I was on hormonal birth, birth control when I was younger, this, like the last, you know, uh, eight years since my daughter <laughs> Sora was born, this has been the only time I've ever had a regular period in my life. Only time I've ever 
before then it was all out of whack for a lot of different reasons. Okay. So get informed and then maybe just start to don't, don't rush in, don't dive in, just, just start to start to understand, just start to look at other options. If that's what this, if that's what you're looking for. I wish we, you know, it's, we are, we are, we're kind of out of time talking, but this has been really fascinating for me to talk to you, Lisa. I had a feeling <laughs> I was like, I need to talk to Lisa because I knew it would be really interesting. And I think as moms and women, like this is part of awareness, right? This is part of mindfulness is under having the full picture, having all the information and understanding ourselves. Like, cause part of, you know, we may be doing all these things to be, you know, to, to be helping ourselves feel better, de- struggling maybe with anxieties and different things. And it may be just a very simple answer that is then of course not so simple. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much. Where, where, so people go, go get Lisa's book, The Fifth Vital Sign. It sounds, I'm really fascinated and excited to check it out. And, and where can people find out more about you and the work you're doing? Well, thank you. Um, so the book is available on Amazon and, you know, other retailers where books are sold. Um, for the listeners, if you'd like the first chapter, kind of a sneak peek at the book, first chapter for free, you can head over to thefifthvitalsignbook.com. And the first chapter is all about why I'm calling the menstrual cycle a vital sign. So I think it's, it's uh, and it also, it basically, it's like, why is the menstrual cycle important outside of having babies? Like that, so the answer lies in that chapter. Um, um, wait, wait, wait. Fifth with a, a number five or F-I-F? Oh, um, spelled out. F-I-F. Spelled out. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, you can um, listen to my podcast. I've, uh, I'm Fertility Fridays. So if you were to search on your favorite podcast player fertility friday so it's like i've been doing it for four years so there's like 238 or 39 or 240 or something like that episodes <laughs> on like the menstrual cycle and vaginas essentially so <laughs> what an awesome resource that's so exciting all the vajayj you can get all of it all, all of it. at fertility <laughs> Why does she talk about vaginas so much? (laughs) Oh my God. Lisa, thank you so much. I mean, I think that it's such a, you know, probably when you were a little girl, no one, you never grew up and said, I'm going to teach people about their menstrual cycle. But I'm really glad that you fell into this work and are doing this because clearly we need this information. I mean, I feel pathetic. Like I feel like an informed woman generally. And I am like, I just got like the, you know, shown how uninformed I really was. I mean, oh my goodness. So I really, I really appreciate that you're, that you're doing this work, that you've come up on the Mindful Mama podcast, that you're sharing it with us, you're sharing it so that we, we can also be informed. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun and it was so nice connecting with you in person a couple months ago. And so it's also really nice to be able to connect with you again. So thank you again. Yay. Thank you so much for listening. It's fascinating, isn't it? I had no idea about the downsides of hormonal birth control, about, you know, a lot of this stuff about our cycles and etc. I mean, it's really an area that I actually want to learn even more about after talking to Lisa. So I hope that you do too, and that you are ready to create more balance in your cycles and your life. And anyway, I hope this conversation has helped you. Um, Just want to remind you that I just have three spots left 
in my Mindful Mama transformation coaching groups as of the recording of this. And um, it's an incredible, it's one of my favorite things I do. I get to know you really, really well over the course of five months. You get to get the sacred sisterhood, incredible positive peer pressure, and um, we make changes that last a lifetime to take you from whatever your baseline is to thriving. So if you want to grab one of those last spots, you can go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And remember, we now have an incredible bonus that you and your partner are going to both have access to the Mindful Parenting Tribe during that time. So it's incredibly valuable, valuable program. So if you want to talk to me about it, email me at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com or just go ahead and grab those spots. That one, you know, I don't know how many are left as of now because I'm recording this a few days before, but grab the spots at mindfulmamamentor.com slash group coaching. And I will be so excited to work with you. It'd be very cool. And I'm wishing you a beautiful week, my friend. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you joy. I'm wishing you balanced hormones. All right. Have a great week, my friend. Namaste. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.